<laughs> Some of you are really bad parents. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to give my kid a battery and an onion this year. You're going to film it, though. <laughs> Last Christmas, uh, something like that kind of happened at our, at our house. My youngest daughter uh, received a, uh, a rock polishing set from someone in our family. And I could uh, see the confusion in her eyes when she opened it, like, what, uh, what is this? <laughs> and you know, Amy and I, we knew this was gonna be a good gift for her because Emmy likes shiny things. She's like the crab from Rwanda a little bit. <laughs> That's a picture of her. But as she looked at the box, uh, I could just tell like she wasn't quite getting her head around it. So I started describing to her like, no, 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 this is a cool gift. Here's what you can do with it. And she still wasn't getting it, so she's like, well, can we just, like, open it and do it now? <sighs> and you guys know, like, Christmas afternoon, we're all a little bit tired. Adults and kids need to have that kind of, like, unspoken agreement, like, you're going to play with your new toys, daddy and mommy are going to nap, we're a little too tired. But I was like, sure, I'll be a good dad, and uh, let's open it up. But check us out. This was like a real rock polishing set. And you have to go and you have to find rocks. I know. <laughs> Step number one, <laughs> find rocks. And, and you put the rocks in this tumbler. That's the yellow thing there. And you put water in it and the special polishing grit, sand type stuff. And you close it up. And it sits on a motorized turning belt. That's the black thing. The yellow thing is uh, on. And you plug it in and it just does this. It just churns these stones day in, day out, and it sounds like this. And we're like, oh, we cannot have this going on in the house. So we put it in the backyard so our neighbors can hear that noise. Sorry, we're good neighbors. But here's the deal. This, this has to go on for like weeks, like three or four weeks. I know, <laughs> that's what Emmy said. And after like 15 minutes of this just going, my daughter, I love her to death, she's like, can we just like skip all this and open it and just get the rocks? And I had explained to her, I'm like, honey, no, this is a process. This is going to take weeks. And she was like, okay, this sucks. I don't want to do this. <laughs> And she was instantly turned off like, oh, well, okay, I'm going to go play with one of my real presents. But we kept it going, right? Kept it churning in the backyard, just... <laughs> Our neighbors probably thought we were, like, making moonshine or something. And then when the time was up, we opened it up after, like, three weeks, and we got all these polished rocks. Ooh. That's a stock photo. It's not us. But that's what... That's, that's a, stop. That's close to what we got. And Emerson was like, ah, this is so cool. She's just like swimming in fancy, that, that's her with the rocks, fancy polished rocks. And she's like giving them to her friends and she's like tipping waiters with them. And <laughs> then and only then did Emmy realize what that gift really was. That gift was magic. Now every day she stops to pick up rocks off the ground and like look at them to see if it's something that she can put in her special rock polishing thing. And after two or three weeks, she'll have something, what is it, different. 
See, that gift wasn't impressive to her at first, but after learning the potential and power of the gift, then and only then did she really get it. And that's what we're going to be doing uh, these next few weeks. We're taking some time this season, and we're doing the same thing I just described, but we're doing it with words from the Bible. And these are some words from the Bible that are in a different language, Hebrew. And we're going to define these words, and we're going to look at these words and study them. But here's the catch. These words might appear one way at first sight, but once we spend time with them and, and polish them and, and chip away at the rough exterior of these words, these words will start to look different. They'll feel different when we use them. Because it's going to take a bunch of things like cultural understanding and, and context and, and diving deep into what different translations say, and we'll start to see these words for what they really are. But, but I wanted to start our time together with this. It's a question I wanted you to ask yourself. And the question is this. You ready? Here it is. What was the first thing that you remember being afraid of? Like when you were a kid, what was the first thing you remember being afraid of? Okay, now if you're my age, you have one thing. You have one answer. If you're like me, it was the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the tunnel scene. Right? I just saw that in your eyes. That's, that's like a stress response. That's trauma. We share trauma. They should not have been showing that to us when we were kids. They're on a river of chocolate. Only one kid has died so far, so like they're, everyone's happy. They're on a river of chocolate, and all of a sudden the lights go weird, and he starts telling a small poem, and it's just horrifying. And we were like eight, being like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I got a friend who, when she was very young, she was chased by a big dog. And the big dog probably just wanted to play, but like being chased by that dog, it just stuck with her. Fear of dogs all throughout her childhood. I was talking to someone else whose biggest fear when they were young was some sort of monster or something that was hiding under their bed at night. Right? When we were kids, that's what we do. But I want to ask us this. What happens when we get older? Your fear and your fears become a bit more realistic. We used to get scared by movies or dogs or the dark, but all of a sudden now it becomes fear of the future, right? Fear of bad things happening that would affect our loved ones, things happening that would affect us. And see, the, the thing these fears all have in common, whether they are underdeveloped childhood fears or they're like more big picture fears that are rooted in, in reality and experience, is they all provoke a response from us. And that response, more often than not, is panic. And that panic can lead to downward spirals. And that can cause us to sabotage ourselves in ways that we don't even realize. And, and maybe this is true for you like it is for me. There have been times where I've had the ability and enough perspective to look back on how I responded to fear, and I realized that I actually made it worse. So I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're here today and you're thinking about a real fear that you have right now, a fear of your future, a fear of what you're experiencing, a fear of the unknown, as we unpack this word you're going to find some answers about a different way that you can respond to those fears. Not only will it help you draw closer to God, but also help you lead. It will also lead you to experiencing the good things that God has for you. 
But to get there, though, I think we, we got to back up just a bit, and we have to look at how the Bible talks about fear. Because our Hebrew word we're learning today, that we're unwrapping today, is a word that is often translated in our English Bibles as fear. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about fear, and specifically fear of God. Let's just look and pull out just a few. In Genesis, the story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham takes his only son Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him at God's command. At the last minute, God stops him, and it culminates with God saying this, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said, not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. In the start of the Exodus story, when the midwives are ordered to kill all the boys, we see this. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Later on in Exodus, same book. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people, what? Feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And it goes on and on. In Leviticus, Deuteronomy, these are books of law for the Hebrew people to follow as they make their way to the promised land. Fear pops up so many times in relation to fearing the Lord your God. Look at that. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Fear God. Fear God. Fearing the Lord as a concept, as a saying, as a phrase is held up as something that we are supposed to do. We're told this. Fear God and good things will happen. And a lot of us go, what does that even mean? See, it's possible that when faced with the word fear, when it's used in the Bible, that we can take modern meaning and put it in places where it's not necessarily meant to be, and we can think this, I'm supposed to be scared of God? You're scared of God? That's what God wants? Because, see, we know what fear means, right? To us, fear is the opposite of trust. And it has synonyms like fright, dread, and terror. But as we talk about this word that gets translated as fear so often in the Bible, we're going to see that there is more to this ancient word we're going to learn than just this simple one-word definition, fear. This, this word is going to be like a, it's going to be like a rock that you find on the ground. You put in the polisher and you discover so much waiting for you underneath the surface. And this word is, it's much more beautiful. And it's less about being scared of God than it is recognizing the power of God and trusting and knowing how that power can lead you to experiencing the goodness of God. Trusting and knowing how that power can lead to you experiencing the goodness of God. You see, when we see the word fear pop up in those verses, it's important for us to know what the Hebrew word being translated there is. It's our first word. Here it is. The word is yira. Can you guys say that with me? Yira. Yira. You can roll the R's if you want. I can't. So I'm not gonna. It's weird. The, the word yira when spoken or written in Hebrew texts, is fascinating. Because here's what we need to know about Yira. 
Yira is a term that means a whole bunch of different things. And if there was like a spectrum, it'd be like this. Yira can be negative, like dread or, or terror, but it can also be positive, like reverence. It can be really mild, like respect, or it can be strong, like awe. And see, the truth is, we, we could go through the Bible right now and just unpack all the uses of yira, all the uses of fear, the word fear, and we could examine them for context clues and be like, okay, da, 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 this one means uh, scared. And this one feels like, hmm, it feels like respect. This one's a little bit stronger than respect. But, you know, we could do that, but I think we are best served looking at the start of one of my favorite stories in the Bible because in this story in the Bible, we are going to see what we learn from how Yira is used there. So today we're, we're looking at the story of Jonah. And if you're not familiar with the story, that's okay. We can recap it easily right now. It's pretty simple. Here's the story of Jonah. I'm going to give it to you right here. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. Jonah goes, I don't want to do that because they will kill me. And he goes literally in the opposite direction. He gets on a ship, goes on a grand adventure, and he gets eaten by a whale. Okay, I've got to pause here and say, actually, the Bible never says whale. It says large fish. That's a bummer, right? We're going to stick with whale today. Today, it's whale, all right? While Jonah's in the whale, he says, okay, okay, I get it. I, 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 should, go to, to, I should go where you're telling me to go. And the whale spits Jonah out on God's command, and Jonah goes to Nineveh, where people are saved. The end. Everyone's happy. But for the sake of today's word and unpacking today's word, we're going to stay in chapter one, which means no whale. I'm, I'm sorry. I owe you one whale. But what I think we're all going to see in this first chapter of Jonah's story, and specifically through its use of yira or fear, we're going to discover a new way we can respond to our fear. And we're going to see how that fear can take us to a place where we experience God. So, so where we once panicked, where we once felt dread and terror and we were afraid, we will actually see an experience with God waiting. So at the start of our story, after Jonah has decided he's not going to do what God's commanded him to do, we're told he gets on a ship going as far away from Nineveh as he can. And this happens. Check this out. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. They were experiencing Yira, and each cried out to his own God. They experienced Yira, and they're crying out. All right, detective time. Fear, Yira. In this verse, very easy to untangle. We don't have to try to decipher what Yira means here. Guess what it means? Afraid. They're afraid of the storm. But check this out. These are men who have most likely been on the sea their entire adult lives, right? So they've seen storms. They have not seen storms like this. This one has them shaken up. They are so afraid, in fact, that they are praying to their own gods because they know that somehow, some way, this storm has been caused by a supreme force of nature, and they are panicking. I've been there several times in my life. You have too. 
When I was in my 20s, I was scared to death about my future. I felt hopeless. I felt like I had no potential. All I wanted was a family and a, and a steady job, and I had such a hard time believing that that was ever going to happen. And, and honestly, I was scared it wasn't going to happen, and I was afraid that it wouldn't happen, and that it not happening would be like punishment of some sort for not having enough faith, for sinning, uh, for not believing as well as I was supposed to. Maybe you've been there too. Have you experienced seeing some sort of great storm like far off? Have you experienced that worry that's going to just ruin everything? That's going to upend everything? Yeah, yeah. Maybe you were scared of losing someone close to you. Maybe, maybe you lost a job in the middle of a recession and you found your future prospects and stability looking a lot less likely and you were afraid of what was coming next. I mean, a lot of people, 2020 was the start of a huge storm, right? Yeah. right? COVID messed with our health. Or it messed with our idea of security, our jobs, our families, our home life, our church. And for a lot of us, the near future looked pretty bleak. And it was hard to not just pause and think it's all over now. And for some reason, God is allowing this to happen to me. I, um, during the writing of, of this, this past week, I, I actually kind of had to press pause on it because I, I needed to go spend time in the hospital with um, a family that they were experiencing an unexpected loss that just hit them. And as I sat with them and prayed for them, I just saw so much more than grief. I saw fear as they were looking ahead and going, what are we going to do now without our dad? This is real. This happens to all of us. So we know what the sailors are experiencing. We have felt what the sailors are experiencing. But where's Jonah? Let's check this out. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Thanks, Jonah. <laughs> Big help, as always. No, keep sleeping, you're good. I think it's safe to say that, that Jonah is not experiencing Yura, at least not how his shipmates are experiencing it. And, and they wake him up, they get him out there, and, and look at this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. We read on. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Jonah says, listen, you guys seem really nice. And I'm, I'm very sorry for this trouble. But you're going to have to throw me off this boat. <laughs> I know why this storm is happening. And unfortunately, it does not stop until you get rid of me. What's that? No, I can't jump. You have to throw me off. <laughs> yeah, I need you to do something that's going to ruin your life. It's going to affect you forever. Yeah, you're going to have to. Oh, it's kill. Yeah, you're going to have to kill me. You're going to throw me off this boat. Can you guys all do it now? But they do, right? They throw him overboard. And what happens? Look at that verse again. The raging sea grew, what? Calm. There's a difference here 
between the response of the sailors and the response of Jonah to this storm when it comes. The sailors are, are panicked. They're freaking out. Jonah's calm. Jonah surrendered. He recognizes what's happening and he knows what has to happen next. We're going to get back to how Jonah responds specifically in a second. So put a pin there. But, but now the storm is gone. The storm is gone, right? The seas are calm. And watch this. At this, the men greatly, what? Feared. They showed Yira to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I love this. They start out scared of the sea and scared of a storm, the likes of which they have never experienced. They start out experiencing yira of one kind, dread, terror. Remember our, our spectrum? Dread, terror. And then they behold what the one true God can actually do. And what happens? Their fear, it transforms. Their fear turns to a feeling of yira of a different kind. And what is it? It's awe. See, I believe that in that moment, they are able to see beyond the storm, that storm they were dreading just a moment ago, and they're able to see the work of the God who controls the storm. And in that moment, being simply scared of what's happening goes completely out of the picture. They're blown away. They're in awe. Something about this story and how the sailors respond to the storm versus how Jonah responds to the storm uh, this week made me think about my dad. Uh, my dad, for a large portion um, of the life we shared together when he was still on this earth, uh, my dad was a fearsome guy, especially when I was young. He was angry all the time. And he was never physically abusive, but man, he could get at you verbally if you were not performing in the way he thought you should. And here's what happened. As I got older, and he got older, and I grew up, I, I saw God soften him in a way I never could have predicted. He, he was a grandpa for, for a, just a short moment at the end of his life with my two daughters. And the guy who used to get mad and shout and holler was now like having like tea parties with my daughter. And I would be like, really, dude? Okay. I used to get in so much trouble you're having tea parties. But he, he, he became something different. But when I was young, oh God, I was, oof, I was terrified of my dad. I walked on eggshells around my dad. You see, and I honestly believe that if you would have asked my dad when we were young what his chief job as a parent was, it would have been something like this. Make my kids scared of me so they'll do what I want them to do and act like I want them to act. So they'll do what I want them to do and act like I want them to act. See, I think sometimes that's how we think about God. Yeah? We think about God as someone we're meant to be afraid of. And that concept of being scared of God, it's this deficient and one-sided modern understanding of the word yira. It's less about looking at God as a loving father, as a provider, but it's rather looking at God as a force to be scared of. Like we should cringe in God's presence, that we should just wince like, ah, please don't hurt me. But here's what I want to ask you this morning. What if simply fearing God's punishment 
is an inferior understanding of Yira. Because at its core, it's really just being scared of punishment. It's self-centered. It's not even really about God, right? I mean, it, it looks at God, but it, it looks at God through the lens of our own interests. Because it, it focuses on what will happen to us because of God's knowledge of our deeds. So I want to ask you this this morning. What if our panic, our dread, our terror at what's coming is just a misunderstanding of who God is and what God longs to do? I was reading uh, Abraham Heschel, who's one of the leading Jewish theologians of the 20th century and just a huge figure in the civil rights era. And here's how Abraham Heschel spoke about Yira, which is, remember, this understanding of God that we're asked to have again and again in the Bible. Here's what he said. He says, fear is the anticipation and expectation of evil or pain. Awe, on the other hand, is a sense of wonder and humility inspired by the sublime or felt in the presence of mystery. Awe, unlike fear, does not make us shrink from the awe-inspiring object, but on the contrary, draws us near to it. What's he saying here? There's a difference between fear and awe. There's a difference between fear and awe. And if I'm simply scared of what's going on around me and what God's doing in the midst of it, I'm going to shrink away. I'm going to shrink away from life. I'm going to shrink away from the things that scare me. I'm going to shrink away from, from God. But, but if I can see beyond the storm, if I can know that God is worthy of my reverence, that God is worthy of my awe, I can draw closer to him, and I can learn that God is safe. He's good. That he wants to protect me. You see, I, I learned a lot of, of good things about being a dad from, from my dad. But um, here's what I learned from God. I want to be the sort of parent who doesn't chase their children away. I want to be the sort of parent who doesn't chase their children away. I don't want them to shrink from me because they're afraid of what I might say or do to them if they don't behave or if they let me down. I, I was thinking about this last week. I had a friend in high school who had such a good relationship with her parents and had so much trust and reverence built up that her parents said, hey, as you go through high school, we realize you're going to be around people who drink and people who use drugs. And the most important thing for us is that you never get in the car one of those people are driving. So it's a matter of trust for us that you know you can call us for a ride no matter what. We'll come get you. And it's not going to be a thing. We're not going to punish you for being in those situations. We just so dearly want to be trusted that you'll draw near to us when you find yourself in a situation like that. Can you imagine that? In our in our journey with God, it takes trust like that to allow us to draw near. Can you trust like that? See, God doesn't want you to be scared of him. Uh, I don't care what 
people told you when you were younger. God doesn't want you to be scared of him. And he doesn't want you to shrink away from him. He wants you in his presence. He wants you in awe of who he is and what he can do. God wants us to look beyond storms and seasons that frighten us, that that freak us out. He wants us to bypass this outdated model of dread and, and terror at what's coming and see the hand behind it all. And to know that that hand belongs to a God who wants good things for his children. And it's then, and only then, when we can yira this way, when we can trust, have reverence, have awe like this. It's only then that we can find the good things that God has for us. The irony of Jonah's story is that God tells him to draw near and to tell other people to draw near. And in his rebellion, he runs away. And he gets on a ship with a bunch of sailors who haven't experienced the one true God yet. People who are far away from God. And God is still, oh, he's able to orchestrate things so that Jonah is still used to draw others nearer to God. To turn their fear of the biggest, wildest storm they've ever seen into a profound awe and reverence of God. It says here that the men present that day made vows to God. You see the opposite of fear? It's trust. Trust me, God says. Draw near. I'm safe. I can be trusted. I created you. I love you. Now what about Jonah? Did things work out for Jonah? Yeah, they will. You're going to read the rest of the story this week and you'll be amazed at how God brings him to a place where he can do God's will and accomplish the original thing God wanted. But this is important. See, I passed over something earlier and I want to take us back as we close our time this morning to the part where they find Jonah asleep. Remember, he's like sleeping and everyone else is freaking out. And There's something he says here I think completes the picture we're drawing of Europe. And as we unwrap this, we're going to find how something in Jonah's attitude helped his shipmates get from panic, from untrust to, to reverence of God. See, Jonah's sleeping, and they pull him out of his room, and they're like, who are you? This has to be your fault somehow. And here's Jonah's answer. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear, I yira, the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In a different translation, it says this, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's identifying himself as a Hebrew who worships, who reveres the God who created the land and the sea. What's Jonah saying? I worship the God who created the land and the sea. And here's what I imagine him saying with this. I thought maybe, just maybe, there was a chance that this all-powerful God couldn't get me out here, but he's in control of everything, and there's nowhere I can go where he won't be. As we were putting this uh, morning together, we thought it would be so appropriate to end with a short time of worship. 
In fact, we've created space uh, for it. Because for some of you, just hearing this is good, but it's that act of worship, that act of surrendering, of stating our trust in God, of telling God, God, I know you're the creator of the seas and the earth, which means there's nowhere I can go where you won't be. It's that worship that I think we need the most. So I've asked Sophia and our team to to lead us in in worship for just a, a few additional moments this morning. And as we worship, I want you to think about the things, the fears that you're worried about, the fears that you haven't yet surrendered, the fears that you're panicked, that you're running away from. It's causing you to shrink away from a very real God who knows you and loves you. 